This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. This is the next message in our series in the book of 2 Corinthians, entitled, We Faint Not. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, if you'll turn there, please. Wonderful song, Brother Ed. Thank you for that. It's a joy to partner with uh, Brother Ed in the ministry, and uh, I love good Christian music. I really enjoy it when you know the testimony of the person uh, singing that. And I believe that he wants God to be lifted high in his life. Thank you for that. Second Corinthians chapter number 6. Um, as you know or should know, we're going through Second Corinthians um, as a church. And um, as we look at this tonight, uh, Brother Ben read that, the text for the night. Um, I asked him to make that video, give us an update. And in the video, I wanted him to read through the passage and then to say some things based upon the passage that his prayer is as he leaves. You know, our theme for the missions conference was witness, and that will be our theme for the year. And uh, by God's grace, that Brother Ben, with the work of the missionaries there, were able to start a church uh, named Witness Baptist Church. And I just think that is so neat during his time there that he got to see that. And he mentioned what his prayer was. He prayed that the people would stay strong, that they would not allow lies to permeate the church and to come in. And that's what we see here. I'll give you some background in, uh, about Corinth and the Corinthian people. But let's uh, read again verse number 14 of chapter number 6. It's been read, but I'll read it again. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? So I mentioned several times already about being equally yoked together. And some of you look at me quite funny because you're saying, now hang on a minute. I'm not married to you, you weird bearded man, okay? I understand that you and I are not married. Me and that lady over there are married. And um, I'm thankful to be married to my wife. And we are equally yoked. And some days we feel like oxen that are really yoked, pulling some kids around behind us. Uh, But we're involved in something together, and I'm yoked with you. And so this passage is commonly used uh, when it comes to marriage, and it is fitting because when you're married, it is a spiritual enterprise that you say together that you believe that we will bring more glory to God together than we would separate. That'll be your prayer, that you're involved in a spiritual enterprise. You want to glorify God, that marriage is about God and that getting him together, we could serve him better and i see that from the couples in here that god has used you and your wives keep you in line brother john and that helps you um, in the ministry Uh, but it goes farther than that that you and i are yoked together in this work that we are partners that we're in a, a fellowship together and i think that's a wonderful thing as we look at this yoke that we're yoked with the missionaries as brother ben and one another um in a work so we're talking about being, let's talk, we'll talk about a wanted yoke and an unwanted yoke. So the Corinthians had a problem. They were going back to these feasts of idols. They lived in a very pagan culture. As you know, that they would worship. They would be the temple prostitutes who come out in the afternoon. Uh, many of them were saved out of that. They weren't saved from a post-Christian um, culture. They were saved from a very pagan culture. The, more, the majority of people that we will see saved here in Alpharetta will come out of a Christian environment. They won't be believers, but their family would grow up connected to some Christian denomination. We have seen by God's grace, Lang, uh, as he was growing up, grew up in a Buddhist family. But the majority of people in the culture we live have some kind of association with Christianity, making Christianity the largest unreached people group in America. Are you following me here? Well, these people are in a very pagan uh, culture. And so in the afternoons, 
uh, the, the temple prostitutes would come out, and that's made reference to. And it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, which we went through as a church, Paul says that they were sitting at the table of demons, saying that you are sitting here with these people, and then you come into the house to worship the Lord, and that just can't happen. 1 Corinthians 6, it says you're, it's as if you're joining Christ to a harlot, that your body is a temple, and as you're joining yourselves to these people, it's like you're, bo- you're joining the body of Christ to a harlot when you're coming in to worship together after being involved in a pagan worship. So they had opened the doors of their church by letting false teachers in, and they were embracing these false teachers, and they believed these false teachers, and they would follow them. Just make a very simple illustration. If the, we as a church get so caught up in the things of the world, in the pagan practices, and we don't put a priority on the gospel inside of our church, then we've opened up the door to let people come in and teach a perverted gospel. Inside of this church here, if you said, I have a real strong conviction about the way that cars ought to be parked. I've always thought that cars ought to be parked at a certain angle, and I really want to paint some lines outside, and I'm very passionate about the way cars should be parked. Well, knowing the deacons in our church and other men in our church, I have a pretty good feeling that we would let you be in charge of the car parking ministry. And so you would probably have a lot of freedom there, and as long as you weren't stacking them on top of each other, and we weren't, the fire department wasn't coming over here, you would have some freedom. But inside of our church, we take the gospel very seriously. We preach the gospel, we study the gospel, and we make sure the gospel we preach is the true gospel from the Bible. So if you showed up at our church and said, I have another rendition of the gospel that I would like to share, and I would like to plan in the middle of this church and get other people to, to teach the men of this church would probably help you out the door. Don't you believe that to be the case? When we get so busy with the things of this world, we open up the door for people to come in, and we open ourselves up for being yoked with people. And we're going to talk more about this. And we see this. It happens in Christianity. The Mormon faith had a door open, and a false gospel was being taught because men said, I'm going to take what's the best of this world. They said, you like polygamy? Would you like to have multiple wives in heaven? So take a little bit of the truth from the Bible, mix it to your fleshly desires. Let's create a new religion. And that's what it is. You can label it a cult, but it's definitely a different religion than the one that we have. And so as a church, if we don't preach the gospel and we don't work at making sure our children know the gospel, then someday this church right here could be part of preaching a perverted gospel if we yoke with the wrong people. So verse number 14, let's look at a wanted and an unwanted yoke. A yoke was for a common work. Oxen were pulling a plow together. In verse number 7, in verse 1, which will be the last verse we look at tonight, but it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It says filthiness of flesh and spirit, which gives us a little bit of definition of here of what it's like to be involved in a yoke. This yoke is a work that involves our flesh and a spirit. It requires our whole person being involved um, in this. This is an intentional decision that we're going to work alongside one another. Oxen belong in a field. You know, I don't like uh, some vegetables. And so if I heard on the radio, Brother John, that there was a, a recall on asparagus, I could very likely say, just to be safe, I'm not going to eat asparagus or any other vegetables ever. My fear in this passage is that those of us who don't want to be engaged in evangelism out in this world, we say, oh, so there's some ways that we shouldn't be involved with unbelievers. I'll just ignore them completely, and I will be playing it safe. 
That's not what this passage is saying. Actually, as I read this and study this, it excites me about evangelism because it reminds me once again how important the gospel is that we can't allow anybody to mess with it, that we have to protect it, that we can be adamant about the gospel being preached from our church. Remember, oxen belong in the field, and if he did not want us out in this field, he would have taken us to heaven afterwards. Sometimes people go on a mission trip, and Brother Jeff was telling me recently somebody was in Argentina, and at the end of the trip they said, I could never be a missionary here. These people are just too wicked. I don't like to be around people like this. They are too wicked. And Brother Jeff said, that's exactly why God's called me to be here, because these people need Jesus. Jesus' prayer for his disciples, John 17, 15 Remember that? We went through the book of John, and he's there at the table, and then he looks up to heaven, and he prays, and he prays for his disciples, allowing them to listen in, which I think is one of the neatest things in Scripture, is that our God would pray for us and allow us to see it. And he says there, he prayed for their protection and their mission in this world, and not that they would be removed and have a missionless life. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So he was saying, I'm not looking that you be removed from it, but I'm looking that inside of it, you will be protected. You know, this passage is a wonderful passage in reference if we were looking topically tonight at personal separation. And we'll see here tonight that as preachers of the gospel, which all of you should be proclaiming the gospel, we should not be yoked up. We should not be involved in, with unbelievers in a common work. And we'll see what that means a little bit. But I just want to remind you here that this is not a passage to tell us that we should be isolationist and go off and hide. Let's look at some, in Luke 5, 7, we look here at a reference. We'll look at two references here that help us understand. Because I think one of the keys to understand this passage is to understand what it means to be yoked together, to be partners, to be in fellowship. In Luke 5, 7, and using this, uh, the words here, it says, um, And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. So they're doing the work there, and they call over to their other partners. Uh, Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginnings of our confidence steadfast unto the end. I believe as we look at this passage, the Holy Spirit's going to lay personal application on your heart in the areas of separation and in personal holiness and the things that we're involved in that dilute our gospel witness. But in context here in this passage, he's saying, you Corinthian people, you're allowing false teachers inside of your church and you're allowing them to be involved in the work of the Lord. And because of that, that's a problem. The world's not hearing the gospel. As I said earlier, it's so neat to know we live in the uttermost that when these people who had the gospel, they didn't allow it to apostatize before it got to us. They just allowed it to advance. That people protected and made sure that the church was preaching a pure gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that, to know that the gospel that was taught by the apostles that Jesus gave to them is the one that we preach today. So people in a partnership or in a fellowship together. We talk about a marriage. Uh, we have a marriage conference that will be happening in uh, November. Both of you want to show that uh, picture. And uh, the, the theme of it will be two became one. Because in a marriage, you are two people becoming one. And that is definitely y'all, the two people working in a yoke fellow relationship Together in a marriage, we see that on a Wednesday night and a Thursday, we'll talk about more about that at this missions conference that I enjoyed in, in Louisiana. I heard from a missionary that 54 Tibetan monks from Tibet 
they have taken this year alone, they have taken and they've drank, they drank gasoline and um, then they set themselves on fire and they ran as far as they could saying free Tibet. Some of you, Mirabelle is shaking her head. Some of you have heard about that. Can I tell you, even those people don't believe in a, a gospel, they don't have the hope we have, they are partners together in a common work. They have partnered together for something. R- uh, Richard Wormbrandt, uh, which was in 1945, he was, um, during that time, he was persecuted by the former Soviet Union. He was standing, uh, he was sitting in a congregation with his wife, attending this Congress of Organ. Um, of organized Romanian communist government, and many religious leaders had were there, and they were praising communism, and they were swearing their loyalty. They voted a Stalin in as the president of this large ecumenical group, and um, as they were doing this, and they were standing up and pledging their allegiance to Stalin and the communism, saying how good this would be for the church, uh, Sabina, his wife, um, elbows him and said, Richard, stand up and wash off the shame from the face of Christ. Richard turned and he warned her and he says, if I do so, you will lose your husband. And ladies, listen to her response. She was in a work, a common work with her husband. She was in this yoke with her husband. And this was her answer to him when she, he said, if I do that, you're going to lose your husband. She says, I do not wish to have a coward as a husband. Wow. She replied, thus Richard declared to the 4,000 delegates he stood up whose speeches were broadcast to the whole nation that their duty is to glorify God and Christ alone. Can I tell you that's an incredible team and a husband and wife in the work of the Lord together and that we're taught in the scriptures that we are together in a yoke serving Philippians 4.3. We are yoke fellows in the mission together. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, with um, other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So we're looking at a type of yoke that we want because we said, do not be unequally yoked. We want to take a moment and celebrate the fact that we are equally yoked together. And we're going to look at five things that it says here in remembering our identity, that we are believers and a common goal of seeing the gospel spread around the world. A yoke should have the same creatures pulling it. I grew up on the farm. No, I didn't, but I have a pastor that did, and I think you know that. So um, I, could, I can reference him and talk to him. I grew up in Kentucky, which is a farm, okay? And all of it is. Uh, but in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 10, 10, it says, Don't allow an ox and a donkey to work together pulling a yoke together. Or an elephant and a donkey, if you're more politically involved, okay? It says, don't allow these two animals. It would be a funny-looking thing, right? That you would put a donkey and that you would put an ox together because they're two different creatures. And because of that, they don't belong together um, in a yoke. You know, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are new. Good job, class. All right, we are new creatures, which means we don't belong in a yoke with an unbeliever in a spiritual endeavor. Because we're not the same. And even though, and I've said this before and I think about it, I have good moral families, people, people part of my family that are unbelievers. And according to the Bible, they're different creatures. It's so easy for us to realize in here that all the good works we did before we were saved were filthy rags. Do you know that? How many of you know that? You show me your hand, please. Thank you here. Remember, I'm the youth pastor. I can give out points and stickers at any time uh, that I want. Uh, but so... 
we know that about ourselves, but we don't remember that sometimes about those that are unbelievers out here. They're such good people that what they're doing, it's just filthy rags because their hearts aren't lifted up and they don't say, God, I want to give you more praise. And so even though as good a work it is, it's selfish, they don't recognize it, but they're not the same creatures uh, that we are. We're made new creatures. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, he has rescued me from darkness. He has taken me from Satan's dominion, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. It's just simply irrational that we could be in a common spiritual endeavor with an unbeliever. And as a church, we must remember that. Unbelievers think differently than we do. Titus 1, 15. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They have an opposing worldview. We're different in here, not because of geography, but we're different because the word abides in us and it has made us strangers. You know, Satan knows this. He knows this strategy. That he knows that you cannot yoke different creatures together uh, to the point that when the Chaldeans took over um, and we see the captivity happening and we see that they take them three different times and then they go in and they take Daniel and they take uh, some of the elite men like Daniel. What do they do? They take them in the Babylon and this is what Brother Chuck is teaching our teens up there up there in Daniel chapter number two about an undestructible kingdom and he talks about how culture was trying to mold them but they took daniel and their friends and they took them away from a place and what were some of the things that they had them do they wanted them to eat differently but in daniel 1 4 it says children on whom was no blemish but was well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such has an ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the chaldeans They were going to teach them to speak like Chaldeans and read the book of the Chaldeans. And those Chaldeans' religion, it was their culture. The Jewish people were being deported and brought to their lands. And his plan for the Jewish people was to corrupt them from the inside out. That he needed Jewish young leaders to buy into their system and to take care of Jewish Affairs. You understand that? Because he knew that they couldn't be unequally yoked. He knew that he needed to pervert the mind of some of those young people so that he could lead them in leading the Jewish people into that system. So Satan knows that trick. He always has. And we see that in the book of Daniel, and he's still doing it today, that he would allow for us as a church, the one to get so big, busy, as the Corinthians did in pagan practices, taking our eyes off the true gospel, that people could be raised up inside of our church. And because of that, uh, they would teach a false gospel and that would corrupt the church from the inside out. And that is his plan, that the opposition in the church throughout history often has come from the inside. As I take my kids to school, and it's not my intention of the night to expose a different church's ministry philosophy, but as I, I drive my kids to school, I pass this one church, and they say they have two different uh, styles of worship that happen on Sunday morning. I'm not as concerned about the two different styles of worship, but I pray that the two different styles still have the same substance. That as they created a new ministry, that the older generation makes sure that the younger generation is still preaching the gospel. Because as you need somebody to fill a role in a ministry, you can very quickly just put somebody in place that isn't teaching the gospel. How does this become relevant to us? As you say, how does it happen? Vision Baptist Church, we send out missionaries. There's no way that this church here could be taken over and not preach the false gospel, how does it happen? 
is that we don't teach our young people the gospel. We don't teach them what's most important. And they grow up and they're able to do everything like we do and they look like we do and they can do everything on the outside, but they have perverted the gospel in their heart. And a few generations from now, they would be teaching a false gospel. If we are not passionate about the gospel, they will pervert the gospel. If we're not preaching the gospel, they're going to pervert the gospel. Do you follow here uh, with me? If you do not explain the non-negotiables to them, that the, the doctrines will just change from generation to generation. In, a, in America, they used to have a thing called a halfway covenant. I don't fully understand it, but I knew that there was a way that a person that was an unbeliever could be a member of the church because it's such an important part of the culture. And you say, how could we ever get to that? Well, it's already happened and it might happen again someday. But as this church, we should stand against that. We should be people who are constantly studying and talking about the effects the, gospels, uh, the gospel has upon our lives. We should always be answering why we do what we do. The answer why should always be Jesus and the new identity in, in Christ should be taught. We're going to see that. There's five questions that are asked here in this passage as we look here uh, together. Back in Second Corinthians chapter number 6. It says here, if you're following along, it says, What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? So as I was saying, we shouldn't be unequally yoked. He's going to give five rhetorical questions to remind us, because of our identity in Christ, we cannot be unequally yoked with unbelievers in the spiritual endeavor. Righteousness is obedience to the law of God. If we desire, Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself of peculiar people zealous of good works. Because of what Christ has done in my life, I'm the zealous of good works. Because of Christ's righteousness has been imputed unto me in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because we're born of God, therefore we possess a new nature which has made us righteous. Romans 6.19 I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants, to be uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity. And even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. That I am yielding as a believer my members, my, my life over to God for a special work that an unbeliever is not giving their life to. So it's a rhetorical question. It's just simply irrational. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Unrighteousness and lawlessness um, here is a rebellion against this holy law. It's the nature of the unredeemed that we're taught. Jesus strongly rebuked the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says here, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like unto whitened sepulchers, which indeed appear beautifully, beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you, you are full of hypocrisies, and iniquity. Why do we make such a big deal about foundations? Why do we talk about the gospel to even people to believe? Why when somebody makes a profession of faith, we still go back and we start with step number one and foundations is because if you're not a believer, you cannot be involved in the same work as a believer. And as a church, we cannot be in a spiritual endeavor with unbelievers. Then he goes on to tell us here, what communion, the next rhetorical question is what communion has light with darkness? We have become light in this world. The ultimate destination of the righteous is eternal light in heaven. Who provides light for all eternity? It's our Savior. And what is the ultimate destination of the unrighteous? It is eternal darkness. And both those principles are taught throughout the scripture. Third question that's asked that's rhetorical here is, 
What concord has the Christ with Belial? The children of God have nothing in common with the children of the devil. John eight forty four. You are your ye are your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, some people one time thought Jesus was doing the same work as Satan. If you remember the story there, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and then again in the book of John, I believe. But they come upon him, and he's casting demons out, and he says, Look, this guy worked for Belial. He works for Satan, Beelzebub, and he is casting demons out. And Jesus simply says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. He's saying there's only two works in this world, and how could I be working for against myself? Unbelievers cannot be involved in the same spiritual endeavor because they are different than we are. We have different fathers. First John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And it says here, the children of Belial, the children of the worthless one. And unbelievers are the children of disobedience. And you may have some resistance in your heart as I read this because you say, man, that seems awful strong that you're, you're categorizing every unbeliever the same way. Because there seems to be really good unbelievers and they can do a spiritual and they can do a work that's like ours. And then there's some that are just really bad and they don't seem to want to do anything good. And if they're really good and they want to do something moral and we want to do something moral, then we should be yoked together in a church work doing the same thing. The Second Corinthians 11 tells us how Satan takes on the image of an angel of light. And he would love for you to be yoked up in a spiritual endeavor. He would love inside of our church to have an unbeliever doing what seemed to be a spiritual endeavor. And it doesn't matter how squeaky clean they are or how horrifically pagan they look. He is glad any time an unbeliever gets involved in the work of the ministry and the local church. Satan had a place, I mean, Judas had a place in the ministry, even though Jesus had never had a place in his heart. And as a church, we've got to look out for that. We must protect it. What part has he that believeth with an infidel? Amos 3, 3, very common passage. How can two walk together unless they agree? So we see so far, it's not only irrational for believers to be bound together with unbelievers, it's sacrilegious to do so. And then it says, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? This may reference his first Samuel chapter number five. Peyton, now you probably know this story, but I, I, I love this story. The children of Israel are losing a battle against the Philistines, and they're saying, oh, I know how to fix um, uh, this problem. We just need the Ark of the Covenant. We need our lucky charm God to come over here. And surely if we have the Ark of the Covenant with us, we're going to win this thing. So they go off, and they get the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it back. And who wins the battle? The Philistines. They didn't win the battle, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they take it into their temple of Dagon, and in the middle of the night, we find that their idol falls over. And so they set it back up and dust it off, because there's a lot of work you got to do when you worship a false god. They require a lot of work of you, and he sets it back up, and the next night, they, the next day they come in, and I believe his head is chopped off, and his hands, and it was an illustration here that idols don't belong in the house of the Lord and that God does not belong where the pagans worship. You cannot bring idols in the house of God, and you cannot bring God into the house of idols. 
Ezekiel 8, 12, Ezekiel's given a vision here, and he gets to look in on something that they think is super secret that nobody's seeing. And it says in Ezekiel 8, 12, it says, Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery? For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. Even when sin happens in the dark, it has consequences upon the work. These people were sneaking around and inside the house of the Lord in a chamber they thought nobody knew about. They had writing on the walls for their pagan gods and they were worshiping a false idol. And even though nobody knew about it, it still had a consequence upon the nation of Israel. So we have a clear command given for obedience here and separation. A decision has to be made. Look at verse number 14. 14, 7, and then verse 17, verse 1, all echo the same truth. The decision has to be made. It says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Verse number 17, wherefore come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 7, verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul celebrates and he's excited in chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, that when he told them before about a problem in the church, they had repented, and that's what he's calling for them to do. It's foolish, irrational, irreverent, and simply disobedient when we yoke with unbelievers in what is a spiritual endeavor. endeavor. And he is telling them here they need to make a clean break from it, that they need to get far removed from these practices. And to do so is to, to lose an Intimate fellowship with our Lord. It told us here, it says 7 verse 1, having therefore these promises, which was given in verse number uh, 17, it says, um, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Those are the promises given. In verse number 7, verse 1, it says, Having therefore these promises of that intimate fellowship with the, Lord, with the Lord dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It says, as a church, as we allow unholiness, unbelievers to be involved in the work of the Lord, we lose that intimate fellowship with Him. I love Second Peter, verse number 1, verse number 3, one of my favorite verses. It says that our knowledge of Him... Jesus has given us a divine power and virtue. Virtue being that ability to do right, that ability to do what you know God has told us to do, the ability to live a life that is separate, that is distinct, that is a holy life that those that carry the gospel should live. And it tells us here in Second Peter 1, 3, according as his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Can I tell you here, in closing, simply in summary, we don't want to be a church. How many of you would say amen with me that you don't care? Uh, the Lord doesn't come back for a thousand years or ten years. This church continues and we're not here. We want them to preach a pure gospel. That we don't want unbelievers coming here and perverting the gospel and the work. We want unbelievers coming here, hearing the gospel and responding. We don't want them coming here unchanged and taking us off track. How many of you would say amen to that? And we're told that our greatest protection in the area of virtue inside of a church and then also in our personal lives is the knowledge of Jesus. The way to make sure that nobody ever stands behind this pulpit and preaches a perverted gospel is some, we keep somebody here preaching the gospel. The best way to make sure that un, a false gospel isn't among your kids and among your family and among you is that you constantly preach the gospel. Where truth is and where it fills a place 
It doesn't allow room for false teaching to come in. How does this work? We have friends, we get close, we raise people, we have children, people that we love and care for. I use Zach Elrod because he's my neighbor, and he's already beat, if he wanted to beat me up by now, he'd have already done it, okay? Zach and I are friends. We're close friends, and uh, I wouldn't know many of you in here if God wouldn't have brought you to the church because you live in a different part of town. But Zach's my neighbor, which means if he was an, an unbeliever, I would know him and I would have conversations with him. If he was a professing Christian and he um, did not, he said he was a Christian, but he did not teach a proper gospel. He did not believe in a, a true gospel. He was trying to tell me that I had to work for my salvation or something along those lines um, that I would know him. And when we got together, I would share the gospel with him. But if Zach came inside of the church and I thought he was a believer and he was inside the church and he was gaining influence among people and he was looking to teach a class or find a place in leadership and we've already become um, acquaintances and we're becoming friends because I know him, that according to the gospel, if he taught a false gospel, as much as it would hurt me, I would have to look at Zach and I would say, you have no place in service inside of this church because you teach a false gospel that we cannot be involved in a spiritual endeavor. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But when you think about it along those lines, that's a hard thing to do. But the Corinthian people here, as they were going out and living in the world in unholiness and they were practicing, it was so easy to come inside of the church. As we go out and we live in unholy lives, we get involved in the practice of pagan practice, we get away from God, things that are affected by the gospel, it's so much easier for it to get inside of the church. Do you, you follow me? We open up the door to that. When we don't recognize right from wrong, as we're not spiritually discerning, and when we become lax concerning the things of the Lord in our personal lives, then we're going to do the same thing inside of the church. And we're going to say, well, we know Cole's son. He doesn't we don't really know that he knows everything about the Bible, but we really need a youth pastor because Trent's old and he's not Cole anymore, and we need a new one. And we're not exactly sure Cole's son saying some weird things, Cole Jr., but we really need somebody, and does it really matter that much because he's such a good guy? Let's just let him teach the youth because nobody will ever see him up there. And why don't we partner with that one ministry? We're not, their doctrinal statement's not really clear, and we're not really sure, but they seem to be good people. And, uh, you know, why don't we just go ahead and do that? We can't because the gospel's too important. The church is too important. And so as Brother Robert preached the, a wonderful message on being an ambassador of Christ, as we should be ambassadors, if that message is on the characteristics of an ambassador of Christ, here is a kind of a policy and procedures for ambassadors of Christ. There's a proper way to be yoked together in a spiritual endeavor, and there's an improper way to be yoked together. And we cannot yoke together with unbelievers because we're not the same creatures. We cannot plow a straight row with a donkey and an oxen because we're different. They are the field. They are not our fellow laborers in the gospel. And we must keep the gospel being preached and shared among our families, lest this church, like many other churches in America, have begun to teach a false gospel because it becomes so unholy in their separation and in their personal lives that they just said, well, since I'm doing this on Saturday, then it doesn't really matter a whole lot what happens on Sunday and they allow Satan to get in there, and that's his favorite plan. He loves to sneak in. He doesn't care a whole lot where, how much room of your time he gets on Saturday night. He cares a whole lot about how much time he gets in this place on Sunday morning. He would love to us teach a false gospel. So let me tell you here in challenging conclusion, we must continue to preach the gospel, knowing that we are snatching them away from 
um, from the fire as we're out there in this world. But let us be careful in our separations. We be not sin, sins then overtaken. Remember in the Corinthian people, and they're, they're eating fruit off of the idols. And they say, if your weaker brother can't handle it, you don't need to do it. Because we don't want him going back to these pagan ways. We must be aware of Satan's plan to destroy us from the inside out. If we don't think those kids are important up there, I promise you that the Chaldeans and the world would love to take them and would love to educate them in the religion of this culture and would love for them to continue to grow up inside of this church. That's what some Christian organizations say. Let Muslims stay in their Muslim context and that way we can take over Islam from the inside out. That's unbiblical and it's wrong because Christians ought to profess Christ. But that's always been Satan's plan. Let's keep them among us. We must preach, love, celebrate, and teach the gospel in such a way that there will never be a vacancy for that position in our church. If you want to park cars, you can do it any way you want. If you want to be in charge of that, but if you want to be in charge of the gospel, if you want to be a leader in the way you preach the gospel, you must preach what the Bible says, and it's a non-negotiable. Our steadfast stand on the gospel will be a wonderful help in our lives in the areas of personal holiness. Light deflects darkness. You know, in the area of personal holiness, the way we live our lives, the way that we go about this world, and we should be touched, and we should be spotless without being blemished by this world. Can I tell you, as was said earlier there, the greatest source, divine power we have in virtue is the knowledge of Jesus. Can I tell you, as Kyle faithfully preaches the gospel at his work, it keeps him out of a lot of trouble. Because when Kyle, when they're going to have a party, Kyle doesn't always get invited to all the parties. The best way to keep yourself in personal holiness is to preach the gospel. And the same in the church. The way to keep false teaching away from here is we preach the gospel. And the best way to do it inside your life is to take a strong stand and to be a light. Because a light deflects darkness. Candles aren't put out by darkness. You can go out there. That's not going to put your light out. But darkness is going to run from you. And as a church, we've got to make sure there's always a light in here that we are preachers of the gospel. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Men especially. You say this is hypothetical. It's never going to happen. It happens to churches all the time. It happens in short times. It happens in five years. It happens in ten years. Make sure there's never a person up there teaching something that's not the gospel. Down here, not preaching the gospel. Make sure your kids grow up understanding the gospel. That these, we must be equally yoked. And those rhetorical questions that remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. I'm going to pray, and maybe you'll make a decision tonight at your seat or down here at the altar about personal holiness, that you become slack concerning the things of the Lord because you've been playing with the things of this world, and it doesn't seem to be a big deal for you anymore that you're doing that. And then some of you men and ladies want to say, I love the gospel so much that I will stand with this church, and I'll make sure nothing but the Bible gospel is taught in this place. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll be with um, the church, Lord, the decisions that we have to make that will be made right now, Lord, at the altar in their seats. But, Lord, we see this as a problem in history, the church in Corinth, that they become um, unequally yoked and they worked with unbelievers. And, Lord, I pray that in here we are all equally yoked, that there's not someone in here tonight that is not a believer, that has never been made into a new creature, that's never put their faith in you. If there is someone like that, Lord, I pray that tonight will be the night that they become equally yoked with us. They become new creatures and they become, go from darkness into light. Lord, give us men and ladies of character inside this church that will raise our children to understand the gospel. And that behind this pulpit and in our Sunday school classes and from those that leave our church, that nothing but a true gospel will be preached by our people. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this crystal will play the piano. Would you make that decision in your seat? It demands a verdict tonight, not my speech, but the Bible. 
Will you be part of this church where we'll be passionate about the gospel? This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.